We are delighted to be joined by the author of a brand new book, God's Design for the Church, Conrad M. Bayway. Hello and welcome to Exposit the Word, Conrad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great delight to be with you. Ah, thank you. Before we talk about your new book, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah, as I've said, my name is Conrad Mbewe, uh, born and bred here in Lusaka, Zambia. It's been my delight to uh, serve Kabwata Baptist Church for the last uh, 33 years, um, which uh, is a lot of experience, both negative and positive, mm. uh, but it's still a sheer delight. I'm married. I have a wife, Felistas, with uh, three children born to us. And we have also adopted another three in the African traditional sense. Yeah. I love writing, I love preaching, and um, yeah, I think that's what I can say about myself, unless you think of anything else. <laughs> yeah, sure. So why did you decide to write this book, Conrad? Um, the, the story behind it is that I was uh, told of a um, a book distribution project mm. across Africa of a book that was on the church. And it's a book I had read before. I loved it. I can still recommend it to anybody. Uh, but I just felt that it was not touching the ground. It wasn't dealing with issues that the African church needed to directly deal with at a practical level. Yeah. I used the uh, expression that was like a, a plane that's flying at 30,000 feet yeah. above sea level, yeah. when really what you needed was somebody who's running through the African jungles and dealing yeah. with issues there. So I was then challenged to come up with um, exactly what I had in mind. And so I came up with about 20 um, areas, and each of them pointing out some issues that needed to be dealt with and that's when I was told, well, brother, go for it. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know that it was going to take up the next one year of my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which it did. Really, yeah. But I'm now very excited to see the final product. Yeah. So it's a book all about application and the practical steps, right? Specifically for the church in Africa. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, it begins, every chapter begins with basic biblical principles. Yeah. So. In that sense, it's applicable anywhere in the world. Sure. But what I deliberately do is just before dealing with that biblical principle, mm. I try to come up with some African illustration yeah. that um, makes just uh, the book connect with our African context. And then I delve into that specific area bring out principles directly from scripture and then towards the end of each chapter then I apply that principle yeah. to the various issues yeah. on African soil that really need to be reformed, that need to be made more biblical in the light of the exposition that I've just done. So that's what I do in each chapter. Yeah, great. So what is God's design for his church? Well, ultimately, it's... Um, a, a people after his own heart mm -hmm. uh, in the post-Calvary period. In other words, uh, we have Jesus Christ who has um, lived and died for us. Mm -hmm. And this same Jesus Christ is now the head of the church. He's 
uh, drawing a people to himself and those people are there to live for his glory and to carry out what we refer to as the Great Commission, yeah. uh, the work of evangelism, the work of discipleship, uh, the multiplication of these same churches uh, to ensure that his true worship, the worship of the living God through Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit spreads across the entire globe so that God is glorified. Generally, that's what I would say is God's design. Yeah. And then out of that come a lot of uh, finer details. Yeah, yeah. As well as pastoring a church in Zambia for 33 years, I know you've done a lot of international travel. What differences do you see in how Christianity is expressed in America, Europe and Africa? Well, just I mean, a few quick points. Um, first of all, it's, it's the fact that uh, within the African context, we still have very much a communal life. Uh, our lives are lived um, in community beyond the nuclear family. Mm. And that inevitably finds expression in the church. The church becomes largely a family in its in its own right. Mm. Uh, it's, it becomes an extension of the community. Uh, in which the church is. And so a lot of what happens in the community inevitably finds its way into the church. Whatever is really happening in the church finds its way into the community. So you don't have often a situation where you just have a building in the middle of a community and people drive in from everywhere else, um, jump into this building, do the activities, and they just disappear. And yeah. the, the, the neighborhood just know that okay some people meet in that building once or twice a week mm. uh, in africa it's generally um connected to the community around the church mm. uh, i'm sure you can already see that that's uh, quite different yeah from uh, uh, america and, and and europe generally speaking mm. uh, you find that there uh, you have a church People drive in, they do the activities, and people in the neighborhood just sort of see at a distance, oh yes, you know, they are the people who, who meet in that building. Mm. So they, 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 out of that grows a lot of other uh, dynamics. Another aspect is that the church in Africa is largely um, comprised of young people, mm -hmm. and that's partly because Africa, generally speaking, is... Um, a young population. Mm. Uh, I don't know how that has come about, but mm. you know, uh, statisticians will tell you that. Yeah. Um, whereas, especially in Europe, when you go to church, you find it's it's um, comprised of a lot of elderly people. There mm. are blessed exceptions, mm. but a number of the churches are dying primarily because um, the generation that is primarily going there is um you know sort of 60 years 70 years 80 years onwards yeah uh, america is slightly different then i think you you tend to find a, a healthy mixture uh of all of these mm -hmm. um so in terms of demographics that's what i would say um about about the church if i'll speak just one aspect that tends to worry me which is a negative on our part it's the fact that uh um, there is very little uh, in-depth teaching 
of the word yeah. in the African context. It's it's largely a verse and then a string of stories with some moral application at the end. Mm. That's not helping the the maturation of the church in Africa. Yeah. And one of the issues that I'm really dealing with in this book is in fact uh, to, to, to argue for um, ongoing expository preaching yeah. uh, that brings out the length and breadth and depth of the Word of God uh, to feed the people of God. Yeah. Uh, that's something you, you, you can almost take for granted yeah. uh, out in the West, um, although even there, there are places where liberalism has yeah. really yeah. destroyed the churches. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I would say about the, uh, some of the differences between the, the Western church and the situation in Africa. What impact has the prosperity gospel had within the church in Africa? Yeah, that's that's a burden. It's, uh, it's something that I keep praying that God would turn the tide mm. uh, because um, a, a lot of what used to be healthy, um, Pentecostal churches once upon a time. Um, I was just reading my diary a few days ago that I wrote in 1982. Yeah. And I noticed there that almost every week I would attend a, a Bible study at a local Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. And it was real Bible study. Um, over the years now, there's been this extreme form of um, Word of Faith movement, um, deliverance movement, prosperity gospel, there are all kinds of terms you can give to it, mm-hmm. which is really sort of a hodgepodge of everything. And um, it's uh, decimated the true gospel preaching and the uh, true spirituality that once was mm-hmm. in, in the Christian churches. Uh, you see posters literally everywhere. Uh, Nigeria is the worst. Uh, I've been there once or twice, and I just cannot believe how the Christian church has been hijacked mm. uh, by by this movement. Mm. But it's spreading. I mean, it's spread like a wildfire right across Africa. Um, the, the largest churches, the noisiest churches, the most noticeable churches would be in that category. Yeah. And as... Uh, Second Timothy chapter four puts it. I mean, it's 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 people who are calling for this kind of teaching because it feeds their lust, yeah. their lust for wealth, yeah. and everything else that's earthly. And yeah. so they are there in droves, and that in itself is giving extra life uh, to this false teaching. Yeah. So it's a point of serious concern. Yeah. And is is this something that's being imported into Africa from America and Europe? And your your uh, the people are listening to the same false teachers that they're hearing there, or are there big names in Africa that are exploiting people through this? Yeah, well, part of it is that it was primarily um, an importation from the West yeah. initially, yeah. And even now, we still have some of the big names from, um, especially. Uh, the American side of the Atlantic yeah. that uh, would still be um, the, with a large following on the African continent, a yeah. really huge following. Yeah. But what has happened is that on the African side, there's been 
um, a number of such teachers who's, who've begun churches that have become international. Mm. And so wherever their churches are, it's not the local pastor whose face and name will be on the billboard. It's, it's this guy who is the sort of anointed servant of God. Yeah. It's almost as though he actually pastors yeah. the church in your town, but he doesn't. Yeah. Um, so they are the big names. And the difference is that largely the, the, the Western prosperity gospel is still sort of teaching best. Okay, they don't, they're not really faithful to the context of the text, mm-hmm. but you can't miss the fact that they're spending quite a bit of their time teaching people, uh, erroneously, yes, but teaching them that God wants them to be rich and healthy and so on. Yeah. On the African soil, it's really the, the uh, sort of cleaner version of the village witch doctor. So it's more... The, the divination that takes place after the teaching. So the teaching is is really like the capital letter of a sentence. Yeah. Most of it is come forward, you get prayed for, and that way you, your bank account suddenly blossoms, your uh, your your sick body gets healed, your, uh, your failure to get married, you're going to get a, a husband or a wife, uh, your failure to get a job, you now get a job, you get promoted, um, if if you fail to to have a child, you now have a child. Literally anything and everything yeah. in the world is coming after. Yeah. Go to the front, and so for thirty minutes to maybe an hour, two hours, it's this man of God who's just laying hands on people for these blessings to flow, mm. and then those people leave money, and that money makes the man of God stinking rich. Yeah. So it's it's yes from the west, but it's gotten an African feel, an African texture that has taken it to the next level. Yeah. We know that not every institution that calls itself a church is actually a real church. How can we tell if it is a real church or not? Yeah, and uh, that's part of what I deal with in in this book, Mm. um, God's Design for the Church. I, I specifically spell out some of the the basic ingredients of of uh, the true church. I mean, w- one of them is the the uh, true preaching of the word of God. Yeah. That that is essential. Um, and part of the preaching of God's word is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ being uh, truly preached, being accepted by those who are then brought into the membership of the church. Mm. Uh, the second aspect that I bring about is the uh, the observance of the ordinances. Uh, you have the the uh, baptism and the the Lord's Supper. Again, that's something that needs to be regularly seen in in the context of uh, the church. And then there's also the aspect of uh, discipline yeah. uh, that those who are not seeking to be holy as God is holy, those who are stubbornly continuing in sin, that the the church must have the mechanism by which it roots them out Mm. so that there's a purity in the life and worship of the Christian church. So I bring out at least some of those basic ingredients 
that can enable us to identify that what we have here is a church or it's not a church. Yeah. What advice would you have to somebody that might be listening now, comrade, and they might be going to a church and they don't actually recognise anything that you've just said and they have actually, you know, they realise that they're not going to a biblical church and, you know, maybe they've looked around and there aren't actually any um, Bible teaching churches near them. What kind of advice would you give to that person? Yeah, sadly, those are realities that um, will be found in uh, a number of places um, in Africa as well, mm. uh, primarily because uh, we've had a lot of um, mushrooming of churches and induces on a number of the leaders of these churches who have survived on um, listening to the radio and borrowing things that are unbiblical. Um, the, their own churches have veered off the, the path of uh, being true churches. Yeah. And it seems to me that uh, one of the things that individuals like that need to do is to at least connect to some um, meaningful church, uh, whether it's within the city, within the village, or in the next city or the next village, so that that church knows that there is such a family, there is a small nucleus uh, in their vicinity, in that place, that needs some level of oversight. Mm. Uh, so that in due season they can be helped to grow into um, a church after the New Testament pattern. Mm. What tends to happen at the moment is that such individuals remain in such churches and then just download sermons from America, from from Europe, and sometimes even from other parts of Africa, mm. uh, which is a good start, but it's it's not going to last long. You can't continue that way. Finally, you need to have a lampstand in your community, in your area that's accessible to you, that can then continue shining the light. And so that's why I make the appeal that try and connect to a church that's at least um, missionary-minded, so that in due season, they can get a true church going, and you yourselves would be the nucleus. Uh, for that that's really the appeal that i would primarily want to make yeah why should the gospel be central to the church and why and how have so many churches forgotten this yeah well first of all um the gospel is what the bible is all about from genesis to the book of revelation Mm. it's about a savior who was to be sent the world was initially perfect the fall took place in Genesis 3, and basically from chapter 4 onwards, in fact, beginning with chapter 3 of Genesis itself, mm. God already gives us something of the prototype of uh, uh, the coming Savior. And then from that point onwards, you're really dealing with God's plan of redemption being worked out through the nation of Israel to begin with until Jesus himself comes at the beginning of um, Uh, the New Testament period, and then from that point onwards, it's through the international church. Mm -hmm. But the thread all the way through uh, the Bible is this message. God sending a savior into the world, 
and that Savior through his life and death procures our salvation and sends us with this same good news uh, out in the world. So you, you cannot have a church that simply becomes a club yeah. for the tribe or for the area. Yeah. Because once you do that, without people coming in through the regenerating work of uh, God the Holy Spirit, through their response of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, once people coming in without that, yeah. what's going to happen before long is that the church itself will be so full of sinners wanting their own ways. And in the end, it becomes a stench in the nostrils of God, mm. so to speak. Mm. That such a group cannot carry out the great commission of our Lord Jesus. Mm. So the people coming in, must be those who are beneficiaries of the gospel. And then, because they're beneficiaries, they must continue getting this gospel out for other people to come in and also for the maturation of the individuals who are in the church. Yeah. Because without being gospel-centered, you soon become law-centered, yeah. outward works-centered, and in the end, you all just become Pharisees. Yeah. So again, the church itself must be uh, gospel-centered for it to have a, a healthy and, and wholesome feel to everything uh, that is taking place there. So the gospel is important and must remain central uh, for, for those reasons. Those coming in and those who are within and also the message that they are sending out until Christ returns. Yeah. How important is church membership? It, it's, it's crucial in the sense that, you know, any group of people need to know who's in and who's out. Mm. And the fact that people are attending church services is good. In fact, we want more and more people to attend so they can be exposed to the mind of God through the preaching of his word. However, that does not mean that everybody who attends then becomes one of those that can be considered to be part of the, the family of God in that place. And so the reason why you need that is uh, because when people join the church, the leaders get to know who they are responsible for. Yeah. As uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says, uh, you know, obey your leaders because they keep watch over you. Mm. Now, those leaders need to know who the you are that they are keeping watch over. Or, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Acts chapter 20, uh, that they are to uh, keep watch over the flock of God that has been entrusted uh, to them by the Holy Spirit. Again, the leaders need to know who are these. Yeah. And it's not everybody who's walked through the front door. Yeah. It has to be those who have deliberately walked out of that crowd and said, I'm a Christian. I want to join hands with other believers here and that we together under your leadership may carry out the mind of Christ here. Yeah. But also with respect to, to discipline. Um, I mean, you, you don't 
discipline everybody that shows up through your front door. Um, discipline is a, a means of restoring people to spiritual health. And the ones that you discipline are those who claim to be brothers, but are living um, in the, the opposite way, mm-hmm. as First uh, Corinthians um, chapter 6 puts it. Mm-hmm. And so it is really those that you then uh, exercise discipline over. And I want to repeat, that's not a negative thing, because yeah. you want to help them be restored yeah. to a healthy walk with the Lord. So yeah. church membership is important for that reason as well. Yeah. But also, it's important for the members to know who they can depend on in the work that they are doing for the Lord Jesus Christ together. Because we've got a world to conquer. And it's important that we know who is on the Lord's side, Mm -hmm. who is in this army, so Mm -hmm. that we can collectively put our resources together to carry out the Great Commission. So there are many reasons why church membership is important. And I personally get quite disturbed when I see individuals who claim to be Christians and just sort of floating from one church to another uh, regularly, depending on who's preaching in which church, mm-hmm. um, and, and never quite settling down in one local expression of the body of Christ. I get concerned about that because it seems that there's a consumer mentality mm-hmm. in such a person. They're not thinking in terms of what have I got to offer this body, but rather they're thinking in terms of where will it be nice today. Yeah. And that's not a healthy Christian life. Yeah. What does the Bible say about who should be in church leadership? Well, yes, that's also quite an important point. Uh, again, the the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus chapter 1 gives the qualifications for those who should be in church leadership. Yeah. And I need to emphasize that we must not compromise on those standards. Uh, there are basic standards. There, there is the, the personal qualification. There is the domestic qualification. Um, and then there's also the aspect of being able to teach. Uh, with respect to the personal qualifications, it's definitely true that those who are to be teachers and leaders in the church must be mature believers, mm. spiritually mature. Mm. Um, and then secondly, it is the fact that those who are leaders mm. must have a, a, a godly management of their homes um, in, in terms of their marriage and also in terms of their children. So that's something that also needs to be uh, particularly emphasized. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the work is carried out through the teaching of God's word. Mm. So there needs to be a knowledge of God's word and also an ability uh, to teach that. So those are some of the basic qualifications that we need to jealously guard as we, we are thinking about who should be leaders of the church. Yeah. One of the weaknesses in the African context is because our churches are so linked with the community around the tendency is to say, well, you know, a person who's a leader in the community surely 
you can't leave him out yeah. in the leadership of the church. Yeah. And so you, you end up with people that are spiritually unfit being accepted in the life of the church as leaders. Mm. And that's something in the book that I keep saying no to. How can missionaries who desire to serve in Africa best support the church there? Um, you know, Africa is a very wide place uh, and it has quite a number of needs that vary. For instance, um, in the northern part of Africa, which is largely Arabic and Islamic, um, the, the challenge there has to do with uh, the, the way in which the Christian church is, is forced underground the Christian church is being persecuted. Mm. The Christian church um, needs to to center more on how to reach out to Muslims. Yeah. And so there, you, you're constantly looking out for individuals in other parts of the world who are um, cut out for, for such... Um, a, a difficult environment. Mm. I think that's that's really what one would would say there. Mm. Then south of the Sahara, you have what I would call two sections. One is rural Africa, where there, there's there are hardly any um, um, streets that are tarred, hardly any. There's hardly any electricity, mm. running water, mm. um, and education levels are very low. The medical facilities are, are um, sparse and very difficult to get to. Uh, and so there again, and, and most of the learning is, rather the, the tribal dialect is the one that is primarily used there. Yeah. So again, the, the, the needs are quite different from the cities mm -hmm. and we do have cities urbanized centers where either english or french or portuguese would be the main languages uh, the challenge there is just the urbanization and the the westernization mm -hmm. of a society mm -hmm. uh, without the moral uh, roots um that would be taking uh, the enabling people to withstand the uh, temptations towards uh, immorality and vices and so on. Yeah. So you can see that because the people are disconnected from the wider family context, the, which happens to be the case in the rural areas, you have different dynamics of, of needs there. Yeah. So what I would say is that you know while a person is still out there in the Western world, they need to um, get connected with Christian leaders on the ground mm. in Africa mm. to, to, to have a sense of what the, the, the needs are there. To, and then I would also encourage a visit so that, again, upon visiting, there's a three-dimensional view yeah. of appreciating what's the real situation on the ground yeah and then from there make a decision as to whether they have the gifts they have the calling they have the training to come alongside national leaders uh, church leaders in order to enhance 
the work of the Christian church. Yeah. So that's what I Yeah, so good. Do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up our interview? Well, really, um, what I'd like to do is to encourage uh, those that are listening in to um, give themselves a copy of God's Dying for the Church, primarily because it's, it's being written by an African, and he is seeking to um, bring out um, biblical answers yeah. in a way that fellow Africans can appreciate and apply. Yeah. And I think therefore that anybody um, out in the Western world who's thinking about visiting our part of the world mm. will really benefit because they then begin to see something of the thought patterns that they, they need to, to have as they are communicating the gospel and just the general word of God as they seek to minister uh, on, the, on the African continent. Mm. Um, we are a continent with vast potential, vast potential. Um, people that are involved in in missions work um, at an academic level often see that Africa is likely to be the next source of the major missionary movement. Yeah. So anyone who invests spiritually into Africa is basically investing into the next army yeah. that uh, under God yeah. may indeed push the Christian church further in the next generation or two. So um, I would definitely make that my concluding remark. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Conrad, congratulations on writing God's Design for the Church. We're really excited to see how God uses it over the next few months. And thank you so much for your time for coming on as well. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. Bye for now.